Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Sports Legends of the Carolinas. I'm your host, Scott Fowler, sports columnist for the Charlotte Observer, and thanks again for joining us. For this episode, we're on the road again and are sitting inside a basketball gym at Elon University in Elon, North Carolina, which is about 20 miles outside of Greensboro. With us today, I'm thrilled to have Charlotte Smith, who's about to enter her 12th year as Elon's women's basketball coach and is already the all-time winningest coach at the school. You know, you have to put the work in, but a lot of times fear will present itself and rear its ugly head, but you have to have the courage to step out on faith and do what's in your heart. Before taking the head job at Elon, Smith was an assistant coach at UNC Chapel Hill, which is our alma mater, and a WNBA player for the Charlotte Sting. And before that, she grew up in Shelby, North Carolina as the niece of Basketball Hall of Famer David Thompson. Like her uncle, Charlotte Smith earned an NCAA championship ring thanks to making one of the most remarkable shots in NCAA basketball history, a buzzer-beating three-pointer that won the 1994 title for North Carolina. Charlotte Smith, the six-footer from Shelby, North Carolina, makes the shot of her young life. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you're listening. And consider a digital subscription to the Charlotte Observer. We welcome to the show Charlotte Smith on Sports Legends of the Carolinas. Charlotte, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We are, we are super delighted to have you today. And I wonder if, first of all, I mentioned David Thompson there, and I think some people know that that is your uncle, but... You are from uh, a, a family that may be kind of unlike almost any other uh, in the Carolinas. I wonder if you could sort of uh, talk us through some of the, the more famous people in your family besides yourself. Well, our lineage starts with the Gentry Wittenberg family. Uh, my great-grandmother was a Wittenberg. Um, my grandmother was Ida Thompson, the mother, and Ida and Valley Thompson, the mother and father of David Thompson. In his rookie season, amazing fans around the league with his explosive jumping ability, the Denver Nuggets, David Thompson. So my mom and David are brothers and sisters. Alvin Gentry, who coached in the NBA, is my cousin. You still have to take a group, and it doesn't matter how talented they are. You have to take that group and... You have to mold them into a team, and you have to convince them that all of them have to make sacrifices. And then Derek Wittenberg, who also played at NC State, like my uncle, um, won a national championship in 83. Sidney Lowe, Wittenberg, Wittenberg, the long-range bomber. So 
in our family, we have three national championships. David won in 74 at NC State, and then Derek won in 83 at NC State, and then I won a championship in 94 at Carolina. So I was the smart one in the family. <laughs> I went to Carolina, and then I tell Derek, you, you messed it up. You should have won in 84. Then it would have been 74, 84, 94. All right, right, about every decade. Well, I agree <laughs> with you on the school. I went to Chapel Hill as well a few years before you did. Go Hills. <laughs> <laughs> but you're, um, how did you end up at at UNC instead of NC State because your family uh, bleeds red in a lot of ways. I think. They bleed red, but I always bleeded blue. And what sealed the deal was I was a huge Michael Jordan fan. Like I wore the number 23. I wore his shoes even when they were a size too small because <laughs> I just idolized MJ. And when I found out that he was a Tar Heel, I said, I have to be a Tar Heel too. Huh. And, it, and you wore 23 at UNC too, didn't you? Yes. In fact, Maybe it's retired or something for the women. Hanging in the rafters, something like that. (laughs) That's nice that you got to wear it. I mean, that they didn't retire it for men's already, so you got to wear it there. (laughs) Um, And you played, I didn't mention the introduction, but you played for the Charlotte Sting as well. That's another connection we'll get into. But let's start, since you did mention Shelby, what that was like growing up, uh, a large family, uh, you went to uh, public high school, right? The Shelby Golden Lions. What was your childhood like? It was fun, and it was filled with love, family and love. That's my fondest memories. On my mom's side of the family, um, you know, which is David's side of the family, I just remember big family dinners on Sunday and lots of basketball in the backyard. I was the only girl in my family that played basketball at a competitive level. And so I was typically the only one in the backyard with all the guys. Hmm. Um, I remember the big screen TV at my grandmother's house and watching my uncle David play in the NBA. And some of my fondest memories of playing in my grandmother's backyard was playing against my uncle Valley Jr., David's brother. You know, he was a great basketball player as well and a great shooter. He just didn't play on the collegiate level, but he was, David will tell you, he probably was just as good as him in terms of a shooter. So I just remember crying uncle quite a bit. <laughs> and and one of his favorite songs was na-na-na-na, na-na-na-na, hey-hey-hey, goodbye. That's what he would say to us when it was like game time and the final shot for him to seal the deal. And then with my uncle David, Lots of fond memories of him coming back during the summers uh, from the NBA season, competitive games that we played, wall sits to see who could sit on the wall the longest, and screaming uncle with him as well because he was such a great shooter. Did that? Did you know at the time how unusual that was, or was that just life that you were surrounded by all this talent as well as all this love? It was just life, you know. There's a, sl- a slogan of saying, ball is life. Yeah. <laughs> and that was it in our family. Like, basketball was the thing to do. And, um, you know, besides good Sunday meals and hoops, life didn't get any better than that. What was the typical uh, meal at that Sunday meal? What, were the, what was on the, uh, on the, that they were making every Sunday? Well, those were the days. My grandmother had a garden, so she had everything in her garden. I just talked about the other day how I, I want to start a garden myself just to relive some of those childhood memories of the corn stalks and the strawberries, the grapes, the collards, the cabbage. So it was, you know, that down home, soul food, good cooking 
Um, I remember homemade biscuits, biscuits from scratch, and strawberry pies and peach cobblers. So a lot of love put into that home cooking. Sounds good. Oh my gosh, that's making me hungry. Um, and so you were, and and your were, both your parents were in the home for yourself then. And so what did they do? What was yeah. their... So my dad was a pastor, and my mom was the first lady. And my dad was, we call him the jack of all trades. There was not too much that my dad couldn't do. You know, he could preach the house down in the church. And he was also a mechanic. Um, He could build a house from scratch. He could build a car from scratch. He could paint. He could pour concrete. Um, He could cook great meals as well. There just wasn't much that my dad could not do. Very talented and gifted musician as well. And then my mom was a cosmetologist. Um, so that was, you know, very interesting. I, I was my mom's test dummy when it came to like a lot of different hairstyles oh. and different things. Um, but they were uh, great lovers of people, really active in the community, serving the community. Um, so what was the denomination and how large was the church? Yeah. So it was a non-denomination church. And, you know, we were just a lover of people from all backgrounds. And, you know, we my dad and his church all were welcome. And um, it was a small church. Started out in um, Shelby, North Carolina, and then his last location was in Gaffney, South Carolina. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not too far from where I grew up, which is in uh, Spartanburg. Gaffney is the yeah. home of the peach, home of the, the peach oil. <laughs> You're um, and so how much how well recruited were you, uh, Charlotte, when you were at Shelby? No, what's inter- interesting about my recruiting process is that I was not highly recruited. My first visit was actually at Clemson an unofficial visit. And then I took an unofficial visit to North Carolina. And so those were the two major BCS level schools um, that I was recruited by. And then a lot of mid-major schools, but not really highly sought after at that BCS level. wonder why was that? You know, AAU wasn't as big and prevalent. And so it's like if you and, – and social media, of course, was not there, and there was not a lot of game footage. So I guess exposure at that time was very limited. Shelby is it was small. Well, describe Shelby as a town for people who have never been there. A small town. Um, we finally got a Walmart <laughs> <laughs> some years ago. Uh, so we thought we were moving on up uh-huh. when we got the Walmart. But, you know, very small. Um, it's called the City of Pleasant Living. You know, it's a small town where right. everybody knows everybody. Some good barbecue there, too. Great think, barbecue. Right? Yeah. Um, and you are, as you mentioned a little bit earlier, but uh, a, quite an accomplished musician. How did that start? Well, on my dad's side of the family, there's a lot of musicians and a lot of musical inclination. My dad played the piano, uh, was never taught, formally taught, really? mm-hmm. plays by ear. Um, I'm really good at, you know, just picking up sounds and kind of creating just what I hear in my head. Um, We have a lot of musicians in terms of drummers, guitar players. So on my dad's side of the family, that's where the music came in. And it's always been a part of my life. I I love to write. Um, I love to write music. I actually have a song called Walk in Your Greatness, which is an inspirational song teaching us to believe in the talents, gifts, and abilities that God has blessed us with and to walk in that, to overcome the hurdle of fear, which a lot of us deal with. So that song is actually on 
all digital media outlets, Apple Music, Spotify. Um, so it's pretty cool to finally, I think it was last year, a year ago, uh, that I had that song produced. So do you? is that something you still are actively doing, obviously, as well as you're not just going out there and playing covers. You're writing, you're writing <laughs> some of your own stuff, huh? Yeah. I mean, I've always been a writer, even as a little girl. I, I loved to write poems. And so in writing, I, you know, I've written a lot of songs that are kind of in the archives right now. And it's something that I would like to pursue down the line. I've, I continually write every day. I'm actually an author. I have a book out called When Coaches Pray as well. And I'm working on my next book for athletes called When Athletes Pray. So wow. I, I, I express myself, uh, my thoughts and different circumstances and things that I go through in life through writing. Wow. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about more about the book that's already been published. What was it? What, what, uh, who were you targeting with that audience? Coaches. Mm -hmm. So I actually started writing a lot of devotionals that I was doing in Bible study on the road when we were traveling at Carolina. And so I would do Bible study with the team. And as I continued to write, I had a lot of devotionals. I was like, wow, this is a lot of information, a lot of material that I'd like to be able to share with coaches. And so I started putting them together and said, you know what, if I continue to write, then maybe we can make a book out of this. And so it really talks a lot about my journey as a coach, different things that I've experienced as a coach, my journey as a player and things that I've experienced. And just talking about the power of believing in yourself, the power of overcoming the hurdles of fear, um, because I'm a very transparent person when it comes to things that I've dealt with, because I firmly believe that our transparency can be the key to somebody else's victory. Because a lot of times people can look at your life and say, wow, you know, you're so confident. Wow, you're such a great speaker. And not realize that there were hurdles that I had to overcome to get to that point in my life. It wasn't just one success after another, right? That's what people think of a lot of successful people. I think, well, they just one, two, three, you know, she won a national championship here and she, all these, you know, family connections you have. But there were many, as, as anyone, there was uh, so much adversity, I'm sure. What, what are, was an example of something that you are transparent about and don't mind speaking about adversity that you've overcome? Fear. You know, I think we all have dealt with that in some capacity in our lives. And so when we think about the national championship, it's it's funny, it's ironic because everybody says, wow, that moment you had ice water in your veins. And it's like, no, I didn't have ice water in my veins at that moment. I was really thinking, you know, I'm not adequate enough to take this shot in this moment. I'm not the best three-point shooter on the team. I'm thinking in the huddle when she said we were going for the win and not the tie that she was going to choose somebody else. And so as I was walking out on the court, really all I felt was fear. Afraid to miss a shot. What would people think if I missed a shot? Um, coaching, becoming a coach. There were times where I felt inadequate as an assistant. Do I have what it takes? There were times when I turned down opportunities because I felt like I didn't. And sometimes you just have to take a leap of faith. You have to step out of the boat, walk on water, um, and trust the gifts and the talents that you have inside of yourself. And you have to do the work. You know, you have to put the work in, but a lot of times fear will present itself and rear its ugly head, but you have to have the courage to step out on faith and do what's in your heart. We'll be back right after this. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back. Let's go back to that national championship uh, moment. Set it up for us. Um, That team was uh, extremely uh, talented, but I'm sure people, UNC had never won a national championship on the women's level before. So just take us through that season a little bit up to that pinnacle where you hit that uh, shot to win the championship. Yeah, well, it started just from the words of affirmation that we spoke every day in practice, national champions. And I mean, if you hear that every single day in practice, it has to sink in. It has to sink in and you have to believe And so we went from being the worst to first by simply speaking it into existence and putting the work in. So you fast forward to Richmond, you know, for us, it's all about respect. At that moment, it's about respect because we're thinking about our seeding. What were you, what was the team seeding? I think we were fifth seeded. Oh, wow. Um, And Richmond, you're speaking about, that's the final four that year. So you're going into Richmond and then what happens? Yeah. And so... It's like, okay, here's this moment, and the game is nip and tuck. It's back and forth, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, are we going to ever pull away? And big moment, Pam Thomas, with under a minute in the game, maybe even 15 seconds, hits a baseline jumper against the zone. Tyne Sampson gets a rebound. We come down to court. We launch up a shot. He hits nothing. Marion Jones and I are scrambling on the floor. They've got to get it out quickly. Bring it up court if you're going to call a timeout. And there's a scramble. Too much time off the clock for North Carolina to try and set something up. And I remember the whistle being blown, and my first instinct was to look up at the shot clock. And I remember seeing .7 seconds, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. My heart sank in that moment because I thought it was over. They waited too long. Jump ball with .7 left. Sylvia Hatch calling timeout. Carolina has the arrow. 0.7 left to play. Like, what can you do in 0.7 seconds? First play we call, we end up having to call a timeout. It was a lob play for Sylvia Crawley. They had that scouted out pretty well, so that was covered. The next play was we're going for the win and not the tie. Two-point Louisiana Tech lead in pursuit of their third national championship. Carolina in their first ever Final Four. And that's the moment where the fear set in, and I'm wondering, do I have what it takes for this big moment? And it's like you don't have time to second-guess yourself. She believes in you. you got to go out there and get it done. I was nervous. I literally forgot the play. <laughs> Fortunately, Sylvia Crawley, you know, in that moment said, you know, we're running 30s or 40s, whatever the play was, and we're setting this diagonal screen for you. Everybody assumed that we were going for the two-point play. They assumed it was going to Tanya Sampson because she was the go-to player on our team. I find myself all by myself behind the three-point line, and all I can remember is just thinking, dear God, please let this shot go in. Let it all come down to this one final play. Lawrence will inbound it. Charlotte Smith is watched by Walker. North Carolina has one chance only. Here's the shot, Charlotte Smith. 
and the rest is history. You got it off in 0.7 seconds. I mean, it hits your hands and it immediately is in the air almost. Uh, the inbounds pass, I can't remember who threw it. But Stephanie Lawrence. Stephanie Lawrence is a pretty pass. She it's hit an you amazing in, pass. She hits you right in the numbers and, and you put it. And so as it's leaving your hand, uh, do you think it's in already? I'm just praying it's in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, please, God, let this shot go in. And, and the beauty of the pass, you know, everybody talks about the shot, but like where would the shot be without the jump ball? Right. You know, Marion scrambling for the jump ball. Where would the shot be without the pass? You know, when we talk about passes, it has to be on time and on target, and it was a precision pass. So there were a lot of things that took place. Charlotte Smith, the six-footer from Shelby, North Carolina, makes the shot of her young life. What was the aftermath of it like the next 60 or 90 seconds right after you hit the shot? What do you remember about that? Bananas. You know, I just remember being stormed by the entire bench, the cheerleaders. Next thing I know, I'm on the ground. Tanya Sampson is down, pressing me in the ground. I'm like, oh, gosh. And I'm trying to protect myself and keep myself from being smothered. But just tears, tears of joy, um, tears of relief that the shot went in, and just a sense of gratification knowing that, wow, it took three years to go from the worst to the first. When you say the worst, were you, was that your freshman year, or were you the that worst team in the year. ACC or something? In or? the ACC, yeah. Wow. And this happened in your junior year, right? You still had one yeah. more year after that. What position were you mainly playing for at UNC? Where did they have you? Well, they call it the point forward, you know, because there were times where I had to bring the ball up the floor. So that point forward position was what I played. But yet in the final, I think you had 23 rebounds. So you must have defensively, were you playing inside a lot? Or where? how'd you get 23 rebounds? In? I played inside and outside. You okay. know, I was a great leaper. That runs yeah. in our family too. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> so I could go in there and pull it off the rim. Were you a dunker? Were you able to do that? I was a dunker. I was actually the second woman in the history of the NCAA to dunk in a game. Mm. And that was your senior year, or I can't remember when that, that happened? That was my senior year. Yeah. yeah. What was the situation? Fast break? It was a steal at the top of the key. I was playing defense and managed to get a steal, and I knew if I ever got a breakaway, I was going to give it a shot. And so it just so happened that it was a clean steal, good breakaway, and an opportunity in the beginning of the game where my legs were fresh to give it a shot. wasn't the most powerful slam dunk that I had, <laughs> but I got it in there. <laughs> And then you came to, uh, and I remember covering some of your games for the WNBA Charlotte Sting, sadly no longer in existence, but uh, you joined that team. Tell us sort of that story. Was that directly out of college for you? Was that? Or? No, it wasn't directly out of okay. college. You know, unfortunately at that time, there were no professional leagues oh, okay. in the States. So I went and played abroad in Italy, which was one of the top leagues internationally. Um, you had your greats like Andrea Stinson, another North Carolina legend, um, Cynthia Cooper. You know, so there were a lot of great players there. And then I got wind of the ABO, which was the American Basketball League. Okay. And so I knew I wanted to be home. I was counting the days down um, when I was in Italy to just be home because it was so far away from home. And we had so much amazing talent internationally that needed to showcase their talents in the United States. And so I actually played in Denver. Ironically, David and I, our, our paths were just so similar. 
He was drafted in the ABA for the Denver Nuggets. I was drafted in the ABL for the Colorado Explosion in Denver. He was traded to the Seattle Supersonics. I was traded to Seattle. But at that time, I I really didn't want to go to Seattle because I had just lost my mom. And I knew how dreary Seattle could be with the rain. And I was like, okay, you guys have to trade me again. So I ended up in sunny California and San Jose. And then after that league folded, two and a half seasons in, I uh, joined the WNBA and played in Charlotte for six seasons. For six seasons. And that was with uh, you and Dawn Staley were together, right? Dawn Staley, Andrea Stinson, mm-hmm. Allison Feaster. Yeah. Had one, one team that went all the way to the WNBA finals. Yes. Right. Yeah. That was, the, that was the, the, the best of the teams there, wasn't it? And it Donovan was. coached it, I think. And Donovan, yeah. rest in peace, you know, was yeah. our coach. And that year started off like, really upside down. Like we lost a third of our games. We were one in 10 and we just continued to stay positive. And I remember, you know, once we maybe got to about five losses, I would say, I would look at the record. I look at the games remaining and say, we still can be, and we lose another game. And I was like, we still can be. (laughs) And, you know, we'd say the record. Yeah. And we managed to turn it around. I mean, it was an amazing turnaround, made it to the WNBA finals and lost to LA. Mm. No, yes, and a two out of three, wasn't it? Or is, is yeah, that the, what they played back then? Yeah, it was two out of three. Yeah. You know, and you it was a short wished, series. It was a yeah. very short series. So, you know, if you had a misstep the first game and then had to go play on the road, it was pretty tough. Mm-hmm. What was it like playing alongside Dawn? What what sort of uh, – were you playing – I can't remember. Were you shooting guard or what were you playing on that team? Or were played, you playing uh, forward? stretch four. St- okay, stretch yeah. four. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yes. Yeah. So what was Dawn like as a – I know you've you've intersected with her now for many years in various yeah. capacities as a player. What was that like? Philly tough. Yeah. Philly tough. She didn't back down from anybody. You know, if it was Lisa Leslie going in there for a shot, Dawn would think that she could block it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she was Philly tough, brought that toughness to our team. A great leader, um, very wise beyond her years, understood the game. And, you know, I just have so much respect um, for the work ethic that she brought to each and every practice. Philly people are very passionate about what they what they give their time to. And if they give their time to something, you, you got all of them. And even when, you know, as she aged and, you know, was struggling a little bit with her knees, you know, she was still relentless and still bringing it every single day. Mm-hmm. And then after your in WNBA career ended, uh, did you go directly into coaching? Was there any anything else in between? I actually was coaching and playing in the WNBA at the same time. So I started coaching in 2002. I was still playing in 2002 and didn't retire from the WNBA until 2006. Oh, okay. So I was coaching and playing for four seasons. Wow. That's a, yeah, I guess the WNBA season was mainly in the summer months. Mainly in the summer months, yeah. So you are, in the meantime, you're assisting. We haven't mentioned Sylvia Hatchell, but that's, that was your coach for the 94 NCAA championship. And then was she the, she was the head coach for all your years at, all my years, yeah. At UNC, right? Yeah. Yeah. How, what was, what was she like as a, as first as a coach player relationship, then as a coach coach relationship? She was a fighter fighter, just a gutsy fighter, and just always believed in us, always believed in the program, was always fighting for the best for her program. 
you know, when it comes to Title IX and gender equity, she was always, she always had the gloves on um, to make sure that we got what we deserved. Um, just a firm lady in her faith, and that's what drew me to North Carolina as well. It's just a great Christian lady and just a competitor. I, you know, she's a competitor and, and pushed us in a good way, you know, and taught us to believe in ourselves, to be strong women um, as a player. And she believed in me even when I didn't believe in myself at times. You know, and I remember sitting with her last year in the airport on our way to the Naismith Hall of Fame. And I asked her, you know, in that moment, why did you pick me to shoot the shot? And she said, I don't know. It must have been divine inspiration because at that moment, I really didn't know, you know, what I was going to say when I arrived to the huddle. Um, so just grateful for her belief in me. She believed in me as a coach. Um, initially, when she asked me to come coach the first time, I turned her down because I was like, nah, I really want to focus on my professional career. And then as things started to wind down, I tried, I needed to figure out, you know, what's my next step. So the second time that she asked, I said, I'll, I'll give it a shot because I really didn't know if I wanted to coach and if that was the thing for me. And uh, she's such a great mentor. And she always taught me to be willing to roll up your sleeves and do the dirty work, even if it means you sweeping the floor, even if it means you driving a van. You know, she talked about her NAIA days and driving a van, sweeping the floor, doing whatever it took to make her program be successful. And even at Carolina, you know, this was a lady that drove around with posters, tons of posters in the back of her van, giving them out and trying to market and promote her program. Wow. Uh, do you want to say anything about how it ended for her at UNC? I know that's been a subject of some controversy. Yeah, you know, it's been a sore subject because no one wanted to see her go out that way. And that breaking news, the UNC women's head basketball coach now resigned. Yeah, this comes just weeks after a review was launched into coach Sylvia Hatchell and her program. Players and staff came forward to complain about Hatchell's behavior. Hatchell made racially insensitive comments. Players and staff felt pressure for injured players to play before they... You know, it, it's, it's painful. And it's one of those things where we've dealt with the cards that she's been handed and moved forward in knowing that her legacy can never be tarnished in my eyes and a whole lot of other people's eyes uh, because she's done so much for the program, for the university. Um, so we're just grateful for the time that she's had there. We're, just great, we're grateful for all that she's done for so many young women um, in teaching us the game of basketball, but more importantly, the game of life. Do you uh, coach a lot like her or differently? Or I, I, it's because you came directly from Carolina to here, where we're sitting in Elon, right? So what did you take from her and what became you know, the Charlotte Smith, what would you call the Charlotte Smith brand of basketball? Well, Coach Hatcher always loved to play up-tempo and an exciting brand of basketball. And that's what I brought here to Elon. It's like, we want to play exciting. We want to play fast. Um, and just the details, like the details of teaching, that's what I learned. And, you know, every day we had a practice plan down to the minute, down to the seconds in terms of what we were going to be doing. So, you know, coaching is like being a teacher. You show up in the classroom with a lesson plan, you know what you're doing and you're trying to execute. And, you know, the great John Wooden said that you haven't taught until they have learned. Mm -hmm. 
And so that was a big thing with Coach Hatchell and Coach Calder and all of the staff that has been there is making sure that we're teachers of the game and not just rolling a basketball out and saying, play pickup. Let's go. Right, right. Thanks so much for listening to Sports Legends of the Carolinas. You've just heard the first half of our conversation, but there's much more to come. In this profession, you have to be prepared for the no's. And the no's are not necessarily rejection, it's redirection. Those no's, you can take them to heart, but you have to realize that what is for you is for you. And timing is everything and the right situation is everything. For that, please purchase a premium subscription to our show exclusively on Apple Podcasts. And for video of these interviews, visit charlotteobserver.com slash sportslegends. Charlotte Smith, 20 points, 23 rebounds, the miracle finish. I'm Scott Fowler, and this is Sports Legends of the Carolinas. This show is produced by Jeff Siner and Kata Stevens, and the director of audio at McClatchy is Davin Coburn. For lots more content and to continue supporting this kind of work, please visit charlotteobserver.com slash sportslegends and consider a digital subscription. Connect with me on Twitter at Scott underscore Fowler or by email at sfowler at charlotteobserver.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please share with a friend. See you next week.